0: Welcome to episode 25 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast.
1: I'm Jeff Brownson. And I'm Derek Dye. And together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time.
0: Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about.
1: Our guest today is Stephanie Arbetter from Hilton Hotels. Stephanie works on social media for many of Hilton's brands, as well as what matters most to us here on the podcast, the Hilton Honors Loyalty Program. It will be fun to get to know her background and how she likes to travel as an employee of one of the world's largest hospitality companies.
0: There are some big changes happening in the rewards travel world, too, so be sure to stick around for our Miles and Points with Pints segment at the end. Before we get to that, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything we have coming down the line.
1: And now, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Stephanie.
0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Miles and Pints. I've got Derek with me as always. How are we doing tonight, Derek? Jeff, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing well. I see you've got a fancy new boom stand there for your microphone. Apparently I'm now a podcaster, so I had to get some
1: actual professional equipment. I used a nice Amex offer to get it for free.
0: Well, eight bucks after shipping and taxes, so not bad. Gotta love those Amex offers, and we'll talk about more of that in our uh, Miles and Points with Pints segment towards the end, I'm sure. But first, let's bring on our guest, who is a friend of mine who I met several years back, and we're going to talk about where that was in a little bit, because I'm not sure I 100% remember, but uh, she (laughs) has progressed very far in her career since then, and welcome to the show, Stephanie Arbetter from Hilton Hotels.
2: Hi, thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
0: I am very excited that you were able to come on with us. And we have, I feel like over the years, we've talked about doing a podcast together maybe a couple of times. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was like, yes, we should do this. And you were like, yes, it's a great time. And we jumped right on it and did it before we forgot. So I'm uh, very excited about that. And as we start all our shows, we usually like to talk about what we're drinking because it is a travel and beer podcast. I know you may not be a beer person as much as you are a cocktail person, so I'm curious to see what you've got there, but I'm going to start out with myself tonight because I have a beer that was a gift from Derek, which I'm very, very excited about, and I saw this come out, and I thought, oh man, do I need one of those, and I think I mentioned it to Derek, and somehow he made it happen, and it is the R.A.R. out of order Key Lime Pie Sour.
1: How's that drinking for you?
0: Oh. Oh, man. (laughs) Those that know (laughs) me know I am a key lime fiend. And when we went to Key West a few years back, I made it my mission to try key lime pie in at least three places a day. And everyone thought I was nuts. But I tried so much of it. And it was so good. And I tasted this and it was delicious. So Stephanie, what have you got going tonight while we record?
2: So it's funny that you say that about cocktails. I actually did follow the rules and I got a beer. I actually got two beers because you never know how much I'm going to need for this interview. But I leaned into the fruitiness of beer drinkers and I found a uh, – hold up to the camera – a Cherry Blossom Lager Seasonal made by Fordham and Dominion Brewing Company. Um, I thought it would be nice. It's from Dover, Delaware. It tastes delicious. And it's uh, perfect timing for – we just, I guess, past peak bloom in D.C. for cherry blossoms. So –
0: yeah, and that's a good summer beer. I had that I haven't had one of those this year, but I had a couple last year, I think. And it actually ties nicely together with the uh, brewer that we talked to, Fabio Garcia from our last two episodes because Fordham and Dominion is what was formed after the combination when Old Dominion was bought, which is where he originally started working in the Northern Virginia area. So it all comes around full circle here and you end up with a beer with cherry blossoms on it.
2: I should have known that you'd be able to give me a little bit of background education <laughs> on this beer. So I'm glad I picked a good one.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not too often that our guest pulls out a beer that I haven't heard of unless it's hyper local. But in your case, your local beer is also my local beer. So you, there was no way you could sneak one by me there.
2: That's exactly the case. So no, this is honestly so far so good. Only a couple sips in, but I'm excited.
0: And let's see what Derek has there in over in Maryland.
1: So we are tying all of our beer drinking tonight to prior episodes of Miles and Pints. Last week we discussed Dynasty Brewing and how there's really good IPAs over at Other Half uh, in DC. So tonight I'm drinking a Drained. It is a Double IPA, surprise, surprise for me, from Other Half. It's one of my first um, cryo hops IPAs. Jeff, have you tried any of those? The, the new frozen method or whatever they call it, the, the deep freeze hops uh, to get uh, the extra hop fluids out?
0: I have, I'm sure I have tried them at Other Half. And I've, I'm sure I've had them other places, but I don't know enough about the process to speak intelligently about it. Yeah, me either.
1: But it's yeah, delicious. I was going to say it it's sounded delicious. like you didn't either.
0: <laughs> it's delicious. I know that much. <laughs> Anything that gets more hop flavor in there is is right exactly. up your alley.
1: Absolutely.
0: So I promised we'd talk about where we met. I, I mean, it's an easy one for Stephanie and Derek. They met about 10 minutes ago when we came online here. Cheers. And, <laughs> Cheers. But Stephanie and I met years ago, I believe, through Twitter, if I'm right.
2: I think it was a combination of Twitter and Travel Massive.
0: Yeah, it was in D.C. area, pre-COVID, obviously, we used to have wonderful meetups of Travel Massive, and that was back prior to your current job, and we'll get into that in the background. There's so much foreshadowing in this episode, it's you can almost taste it. But we kind of became the people. It was you and me and Spencer, who's been on the show, and a couple other people. And it's like we were the after hours crowd for those meetups for the the travel massive. So, travel massive meetups, we would occasionally have um, like there would be a couple of drinks. Some of them would have drinks. We had one or two where there were no drinks and we were all traumatized but afterwards yeah. we were always like we should maybe go get some more drinks and maybe some oysters and maybe who knows what and it I'm just I'm
1: shocked by all of this honestly I mean,
0: I know it doesn't sound like me at all but
1: <laughs> yeah add Spencer to the mix and it's a lot of trouble
0: so we would find our way after these travel massive events out probably for two or three more hours drinking and socializing and having fun back when you could do that and it just became a regular thing and honestly since this pandemic. I, I've i missed it. I missed I. Every now and then I'll send you a message and I'll be like, I miss having drinks.
2: I know. I know. It was so much fun. I feel like not to knock travel massive, half of it was just about what we were going to do afterwards. And it was a chance. I think it was perfect. I'm going to plug it for a second because it was just starting right when I moved to D.C. It was like 2014, 2015. Talia and Jess got together, they, their, their intent was to bring um, all of the travel industry tra- uh, professionals around D- D- the DMV together for different events and being able to, um, you know, meet each other and network and kind of in the backdrop of these different venues. But I think the really beautiful part is that because we were all in the travel industry, we all got along so well. And we all had kind of like similar personality types. So it was quick friendships, I'd say, especially you, Spencer, Talia, Skyler, the Brand USA crew. Um, yeah, no, it was it was a hoot. I really miss it. Can't wait to see everybody again. It was a
0: lot of people with outgoing personalities that love to talk about travel in different countries and different places and restaurants and drinks. And in my mind, yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah. So Derek is now sad that he was not in, in the D.C. proper at that point to do all that with us. Feeling left out over there. Poor Derek.
1: Yeah. Just like I was left out this weekend when you were also drinking with some of these people. But, you know. We'll leave that for
0: an off-air discussion. Well, I will point out, for anyone who's wondering why Derek was not invited to that, is we were eating shellfish, and Derek is allergic to shellfish. True. So it almost (laughs) would have been mean. Okay, that's a good excuse. (laughs) I was also recovering from uh, COVID shot number two, and it was not a fun weekend, but, you know, at least it's over. Yeah, so my weekend definitely better than Derek's, eating uh, fresh crab and uh, clams and Oysters and mussels and all sorts of stuff a lot of Old Bay up at Nick's Nick's fish house in Baltimore Which Stephanie if you have not been there and you like that kind of seafoody stuff no, Oh, it's delicious
2: Yeah, no, it's it's uh, that sounds so good I actually got a notepad out and notes because I figured I'd, I'd learn just as much from you guys So as well as writing things down that I want to say I'm gonna be taking notes on some recommendations, too So this is perfect.
0: Yeah, so Nick's fish house, Baltimore uh, It's very busy Don't get there too late in the afternoon, because the crabs that they have are the crabs that they got that day. So if you show up too late, then they're sold out. So
2: Wow. Great tip.
0: Definitely. They were already out of the big ones, so we had to do a little bit more work with ours. But still delicious. And enough rambling on about Baltimore and crab on my part. I'm just thinking back to that. So delicious. So delicious. But, Stephanie, let's get into talking to you, you know? You're the guest. You're here. Let's stop talking about ourselves.
2: I was going to say, though, I was going to say before before we kick it off, this, these are the things that I miss by not seeing you. Because when I saw you so regularly, yeah. you were able to give me all of these recommendations and places to go and weekend trips and things to do. So I need this. I need this back in my life. I've been missing it. So don't feel bad that it was rambling. It wasn't.
0: So let's get into a little bit about your background. And we're going to go way back to little Stephanie growing up. Where, where was it that you uh, spent your childhood? Where'd you grow up?
2: So, I grew up in Dallas, Texas for all 18 years. My parents are from Dallas, so my mom is fourth generation. We are a big time Texas family and loved it, have, you know, miss it all the time. But yeah, my whole childhood was in Dallas.
0: And when did you end up coming to the DC area or how did you end up here? Was that a direct move or did you kind of go in a circle to get here?
2: Sort of a circle, sort of a squiggly line, whatever you want to call it. I went to University of Georgia for college, so go dogs! That was a lot of fun, and I studied journalism. We can get into that later if you want me to, but I'm just going to brush right over just in terms of the timeline. Uh, Graduated. I actually graduated on. I had already gotten a job because at that point, you know, when your parents get, have you so stressed out about finding a job? So I interviewed in Dallas, got an offer graduated on a Friday, started working on a Monday. So I moved right back home, um, lived in Dallas for about two and a half years. It took me until probably the second year. I loved being there, but it took me probably until the second year to realize that I that's probably not going to be the city that I spend my 20s in, just in terms of like who I am as a person, wanting to grow, wanting to expand, you know, spread my wings. I love my friends, love my family, but I knew that I would love them more if I didn't you know, wasn't wasn't seeing if them all the time. If you went back and visited instead uh, of
0: seeing them every week.
2: It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm like, how do I say this eloquently? Um it, I, yeah, exactly. What does the absence make the heart grow fonder? So at that point, I was kind of like I was kind of researching a couple of different cities and I and the travel bug in terms of my career was starting to form. So my sister, who actually also lives in DC, was interning in DC for the summer. And she works in politics, and her she was staying at the GW dorms, the internship dorm program, and her roommate was an intern at the Ritz Carlton. So when I was starting to sort of look at travel jobs around the country, wanting to work for either corporate or just something to you know continue in that in that travel marketing trajectory, uh, I realized she put it on my radar that, and that was right also when Hilton had brought their corporate headquarters over from California to Tyson's Corner, so. As soon as I started researching D.C., uh, a city that I thought historically was all politics jobs, turned out to be all of these travel jobs. So, and it's, it's a really big misnomer. I think a lot of people don't really realize how much we have here that's available for people who want to get into the industry. So I moved here. I looked for a job for a, almost a year in 2014, and when it became really apparent that I wasn't going to be able to find anything without being here, I, put, I told my roommate I was going to break my lease in Dallas, and I signed up or I found a, a sublease for nine weeks in DC at the end of the year of 2014 going to 2015 I quit my job and moved here without anything I literally moved here with no job and a nine week sublease and I f- thought I would be able to figure it out and once I had an address here I was able to start interviewing um, I did I did fortunately find something pretty quickly but it was a big leap of faith and it uh, six a little over six years later it's worked out so
0: yeah I think a lot of people end up doing that if they want to move to the d c area. When we moved here, we came down and we actually were were working out a contract for a house to rent a house for a year. My wife had gotten a job, but I still didn't have one. and then luckily on the on the drive back after we had agreed to pay six months up front of the lease because I didn't have an income, I got a voicemail that I got hired at the Patent Office. So it worked out. I didn't have that extra couple of weeks. but I think it's it's tough to get a job sometimes in this area if you aren't already here, but there's lots of things to do here that are not politics. Some of them are political-related. Some of them, there's a lot of travel headquarters. There's a lot of... Companies do a lot of lobbying through this area, so there's a lot of travel organization that has to happen. There's a lot... Uh, A whole lot of different industries that work in and out of the D.C. area, and it's a city that has a ton of things to do as far as if you like theater, if you like sports, if you like restaurants. I mean, we could talk about that all night. Just uh, so much cool stuff happening in the D.C. area. So you moved here. What, What was the first job that you got when you moved to D.C.?
2: So I worked at a company. It's a public private partnership that it was a Bush and then eventually Obama implemented it. It was a Bush initiative called Brand USA and they have the mission to promote international travel into America so they, their goal is to enhance the brand of the United States and I'll give just a quick blurb on why so the t- so the ten years after 9/11 they call a lost decade for tourism because people stopped coming to America and they and it sort of slid as a uh, as a de- as a destination for international travelers so the basically the government decided to boost the image of America and promote all that is wonderful about coming here purely for leisure travel so I had the best job because I worked in marketing and social media to promote the Golden Gate Bridge, Statue of Liberty. But then we also worked with states and cities, so Miami and Disney. And I really got to know, you know, all there is to love about America. But then even as far as Uh, music festivals and working with Austin. And so it was, it was great. And we worked in 14 countries. Don't quote me on that, but I believe 14 countries in 12 languages. So we had in country localized marketers who helped us translate our messaging But uh, I really got to know, that was kind of where I really cut my teeth on understanding how to travel to different markets, because what appeals to a Japanese traveler is not the same thing that's going to appeal to an Indian traveler or German traveler. So I had a a blast, and I learned more in that two and a half years than, you know, it was like basically a master's degree in understanding how to travel, um, or how to market travel on a global scale.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting to me. I've never really thought about it in those terms, but you're making the entire country one thing and then marketing it to vastly different markets around the world, right? So not only are you making many vastly different things in the U.S. all part of one, but then you're marketing it to people that have different interests, likes, uh, demographics, and, and money, economic situations.
2: I mean, you name it, all of that. That was right. Also, it was kind of perfect timing because it was right at the centennial, the hundred year anniversary of the national parks. So we really got to hit the national parks and talk about that. And that was great because there's not a huge budget related to coming to the parks. So it was really fun because we it really does. There's something about the parks, you know, some, you know something that appeals to almost everybody, just in the different ways that you talk about it. But, you know, I'll give you like one funny story, even even something as simple as marketing roller coasters. We had, you know, excitement, uh, big excitement and then excitement light where some people they want to see an image of a roller coaster to go ride it and some people like to take a picture in front of the roller coaster as if they went to the theme park so it was really <laughs> funny just the ways that we had to learn how to you know even market it or they you know what they want to go to the beach and they want to get in the water or they just want to wear their clothes and take a picture in front of the beach and say that they you know they saw it so it was really fun I loved it I did a little bit of traveling for it Mostly, but mostly just really got to understand the country and the nuances and, uh, demographics.
0: It sounds like there would have been a ton of problem solving or like trial and error with that job. Is that right?
2: Um, a lot of trial and error, but we were very fortunate because we had really, really strong, competent experts in market that we, that we leaned on heavily as partners. So what we really had to make sure that we weren't wearing our American hats for all of this. So there definitely, while there was a lot of trial and error, there was a lot of research when we had, we have an amazing research or we had an amazing research team. And so they did nothing besides make sure that everything that we were doing laddered up to how to understanding the traveler. So it wasn't, you know, it's not that we were just, you know, trying things and failing them from our own perspective, but we really wanted to make sure that we kind of almost had it down to a science.
0: So you were kind of, like you said before, it's almost like a master's degree, but you were getting an education in each of these areas before you even started marketing to them. Learning about the oh, people and learning about what they wanted, which I guess is is marketing as a whole, but on a much different scale than most companies deal with it, especially local companies here in the U.S.
2: I mean, yeah, I don't want to, you know, say that I'm an expert on, you know, you know, Indian travelers, but even the way that they travel from our from our understanding, when they come when a lot of them come, they'll come as a really big family or as a big group and stay for a really long time. So if you, if we're marketing to, you know, people who have got a a much longer trip to come, that's not the same as marketing to a Canadian or, you know, someone from Mexico for the weekend. So, but you also really have to understand, you know, their background and what they're coming for and how long they want to stay and what that itinerary looks like. So definitely, we really had to make sure that we understood the traveler and the the point of the leisure trip before we even developed a marketing plan. Yeah, it was all, it was all research and education for sure. I
1: guess another easy one we can think of is like if you're marketing to Australians, right? If they're having that, uh, that gap year, whatever they call it, where they get, you know, basically a sabbatical for a year and they a lot of times plan six and eight month vacations and uh, go and really see, you know, I met some uh, Australians actually in South America and they were in like month three of a trip. They were headed to North America next. We're planning to go from Maine to LA uh, and uh, driving and taking trains, seeing all the, like 50 national parks, and then they were going to go up to Canada and spend like six or eight weeks in Canada. That's a completely different marketing plan than if you were marketing to Americans going to Europe for 10 days, right?
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then even the evolution. Sorry, I could talk about this forever. So I'll just give you what, this one last. But it actually ties perfectly to what you were saying. Even the travel behavior of a Chinese traveler, where they, whereas they used to travel at more of a group, a group setting, and, and buying these travel packages. It's at least when I worked at Brand USA, there was a major shift to be coming to more of this like independent travel mindset. So we weren't, we had to change the way that we traveled and it was much more similar to the way the Australians traveled where it'd be a lot of younger millennials, you know, very independent, free thinkers. They want to come on their own. They want to do exploration and th- across the US. So it was, we really did actually lean a little bit on that sort of Australian um, research in the background of how they traveled because we, it was just, we saw that big shift. So yeah, I mean, you nailed it
1: and that's so cool so tell tell our listeners when you went to brand usa were you already obsessed with travel or did it sort of evolve while you were in that job
2: a little bit of both i had worked at a marketing agency and well first first things first i traveled as a high school high school student and a college student i studied abroad in spain both times, so I've always, as a person, been obsessed with travel, and I really, you know, we can get into this a little bit later. But I, we, I, there was a lot of tra- love for for travel, not not only as a traveler, but also talking about it. I did a little bit of blogging when I was studying abroad in college, so I I already had a little bit of that love. And then when I was working at a marketing agency in Dallas, I had the chance to sit, sit in on a few brainstorms for some local boutiques and spas and some hospitality clients. Uh, for our, for the agency. And that's when I really realized, hey, I can turn my love of, you know, and my understanding for the traveler into a profession. It was kind of like that was re- what bridged the gap for me because anecdotally, I could understand and get in the, the mind of the consumer. So I think the idea was starting to form and I kind of became obsessed with it as a concept, wanting to move to DC. I mean, you don't uproot your life to go to the travel hub, you know, city in America without kind of being obsessed with the idea of it. But I think, you know, it was, it was I still was, I had never really done it. So I was hoping that I was good at it. So I think Brand USA was really where I sh- it showed me that, hey, like, you know, you can take your love of this and your ability to market and really kind of create some magic here. So it really Brand New USA is kind of what tied it all together for me that I that it could be the trajectory of my of my career.
0: So you said you studied both in high school and in college in Spain. Did you go back because you had liked it so much? Or was it just happened that both programs put you there? Do you speak Spanish? Is it do you have a special love for Spain? Why? Why did you end up there twice?
2: So yes, to all the above, although Although don't hold me to the do I speak Spanish because I'm not doing the rest of this interview in Spanish, but I, don't worry, no guess, one would ask I, you questions. <laughs> <laughs> Great, so um, I'll I'll answer all of those at the same time to the best of my ability. So I have always loved the language and the culture and the people and the idea of going to Spain. For it's always appealed to me. My family is not Spanish. I don't have any Spanish relatives. I just. Loved it. And I think being in Texas too, having the exposure. My dad's from San Antonio, actually. So, and I've, we spent a lot of time in South Padre Island, which is close to the border. So, I've really gotten to understand the culture and you know even the music and the food of Mexico. And I, be, being someone who's a, I'm a pretty independent person, there was when I went to I went I moved high schools, and when I went to my new high school, I wanted to jump into AP Spanish. And the teacher told my parents that there is a program for high schoolers if I wanted to fast-track learning over the summer and then start AP Spanish the next year. So uh, we found a program in Spain. It's a town called San Sebastian. To this day, it's my favorite town in the world. I love it. Uh, and it was great because they were really able to sell my parents on sending a 16-year-old around the world. Uh, it was. A, it's a really small town. I almost want to say it's like the Charleston of Spain. It's very foodie focused. It's on the beach. It's pretty safe. It's you know quaint. It's not crazy. We're not talking Barcelona, Madrid. I lived with a host family. So I think it was all the things that kind of made my parents feel a little bit more secure to send their 16-year-old for the summer to live with a family in Spain. So that's where I really, I loved it. And then I liked it so much that when I had the ability to go to college and choose, I actually chose it as my minor. So I minored in Spanish. And then I found a program, not through Georgia, but I found it on my own that I could take classes at the University of Barcelona to finish up my minor. So I I was able to spend the semester in uh, Barcelona in college. So a little bit of everything.
0: So it was very much driven by you and that's where you wanted to be and I mean, that sounds just awful that being 16 and being able to be at the beach all the time and have great food and relax in northern Spain there. I mean, my heart goes out to you. I don't know how you tolerated that. But
2: hey, try try telling your parents what running of the bulls is. We went to it that (laughs) summer. And I was like, dad, I promise I didn't run with the bulls, but we, we were, we did get to experience all the food and see the, the festival of San Fermin, And then we went to the very end of the bullfighting ring. So you're right. You take a 16 year old and you throw them into like all these global worldly experiences in one summer. Yeah. I hated it. Right.
0: I hope you didn't tell them before you went that you were going to the running of the bulls.
2: I had learned by that point. I had learned what I, what I shouldn't, shouldn't tell them before I am. So yeah.
0: Good. Good. So yeah. learned at an early age.
1: That's one of the things my wife has made me promise never to do. I cannot go to Pamplona and run with the bulls. It's like it's on my bucket list, and it's never going to happen. But I, I, I'm also a fan of Spain, and um, even though I haven't gone there yet, but the the culture, the language, I was a Spanish
0: minor in college as well. So, Jeff, are you the only um, one that
1: didn't minor in Spanish?
0: I did not, but I'm just thinking. I'm picturing you and I going to the running of the bulls, and I think it would end badly. Like we we would start running. One of us would trip. The other one would trip over that one. Then we would get run over Wait. by the bulls, and we'd drag our bloody selves over to a bar and just drink. I think. Wait, we
1: would we would be two of the largest humans on the street. That is true. We could definitely find we could definitely find someone to become the sacrifice instead
0: of us. Or they would use us it. as shields. They're, yeah, we'd be two of the largest humans, but significantly smaller than the bulls
1: true yeah we yeah we would need to find a sacrificial lamb for someone to throw under the bulls but now that we're thinking about assaulting each other
0: or, or random people or others yeah random strangers move on.
1: yeah yeah we should probably move on to
0: the next topic can you tell we haven't traveled in too long we forgot how to be friendly to <laughs> others what we're gonna do when we <laughs> well, travel? can i just
2: say one thing if anyone's going to running the bulls here i am inviting myself there is no way you guys can go back to that area and i can't come so i'm just putting that on wait
0: there. maybe we could go And we could watch from a balcony and Stephanie could run with the bulls and we could take a video of it to send to her parents. Yeah.
2: I'm going to have to start training right now.
0: We can do some heckling. I like this idea. Yes. It's getting better and better.
2: Yeah. Jeff, it's sort of like the, it's sort of like the Oktoberfest trip that I always say I'm going to go on every year and then somehow never make it. So we're going to add that to the list. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's funny you say that. I should add you to that group for this year so you can not go again. It's. Oh.
2: Wow. You never know. You never know. <laughs> hey, I, hey I, I called myself out first, so it really is my fault. I always want to go, and then it never Yeah,
0: ends I mean, out. in her defense, it, it ends up, a lot of times our trip ends up coinciding with some of uh, the Jewish high holidays, which she celebrates with her family every year and can't be away for those times. So she has a legitimate reason that she doesn't go, but that does not stop me from giving her a hard time about it, because she's always so excited when we talk about it. She's like, yes, I want to go. I want to go. Oh, I can't go.
2: That's actually a great memory. I'm really impressed that you remembered that, and it's true. But one of these years, I'm still holding out hope.
0: Yeah, I remember strange things. I don't, I mean, (laughs) I couldn't remember uh, earlier the name for something simple. We were together with some friends, and I was like, I don't, and I had to describe it. I was like, oh, I don't know. But yeah, I remember why you can't go to Oktoberfest. Apparently, that's something (laughs) that I need in my brain.
2: It's important. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Gotta love it. So you currently work for Hilton, but it sounds like there may have been some time between Brand USA and Hilton. Did you work somewhere else between there?
2: Yes, I did. So I... uh, We'll get a little bit real on this podcast. Let's do it. So I worked at... Let's do it. It's nothing I wouldn't tell anybody. It's just, you know, a little bit of the backstory. So I worked at Brand USA, and I really loved being in social media, but I was having a little bit of trouble figuring out how to translate social media into, for me, this the marketing skill set. I was really good at being creative and writing tweets and social copy and imagery. And I really understood, you know, even if you think about the, what I was telling you guys earlier on, you know, imagery and language on how to talk to international travelers. But I w- really, I had never, since I, I w- didn't study marketing by trade, I was having a little bit of trouble connecting social and writing and being creative and all the right brain stuff to the actual practice of like the business case and, and the bottom line and consumers. So, and what was a little bit hard about Brand USA was you're not actually asking anybody to take an action. You're not saying book now, click here. It's just, you're hoping that they see your messaging and you're hoping that at the end of the year, enough people come to America to make Brand USA worth it. So in very, very small scales.
0: So it's very hard to see on a case-by-case basis if what you're doing is effective.
2: Right. And I didn't have that many numbers. Um, and, and outside of it just looking at the metrics of like our video views and certain social data for specifically what I was doing, I really wanted to cut my teeth a little bit more in figuring out how to move the needle in marketing, especially if I was going to do it long term. So I was applying a lot to Hilton Marriott and I wasn't... I wasn't getting through. I wasn't getting through the door, and I wasn't getting um, getting hired. So I figured out. I I thought about going back. To, so I got my master's at Georgetown in integrated marketing communications, and I thought that might be a really good way for me to bridge the gap between really understanding how to communicate, but really also understanding how to be a marketer and think like a marketer. So I will say to this day, it was the single best decision I've made in my entire career. It changed everything for me. So actually in the same month, I left Brand USA and I went to go to an agency called Street Sense. And it was, well, the agency back then was called Deluki Plus. So then they were acquired by the design hospitality and design firm in Bethesda Street Sense. And that was great because that also gave me exposure to the hotel industry. And they had some travel clients and hotel clients, but... What, what little did I know, right when I started, they got a huge client and it was maple syrup. So I had the task of building a brand for a Vermont maple syrup. And it, while I wasn't like the sexiest thing for me wanting to be in travel, it was actually perfect because all I did all day was learn how to sell a product and, and figure out how to market a product. And that was for the first time something I hadn't really done in my career. So it, so, simultaneously, while I was studying in grad school how to develop marketing plans and a campaign and all of that from the ground up, I was also getting real-world knowledge on uh, on consumer packaged goods and the CP, CPG industry.
0: So, it was kind of what you were looking for and what you were missing before. You were getting exactly that. But there's, I mean, there's two things I wanted to comment on that you were saying there. First of all, maple syrup is sexy. It's delicious. Vermont maple syrup is amazing. And second, I liked how you just kind of threw in and you went back to it a little bit, but you were like, well, I was doing this and I thought I needed this. So I got a master's at Georgetown as if it's like no big deal. <laughs> it's yeah. one, of, one of the best universities in the country, if not the world. And you're like, so, you know, I, saw, I thought I'd throw in a marketing master's there. Well, no big deal.
2: Well, I you're, you're correct about that. I think it's because I one of my goals in coming to D.C. was to get a certificate. So I always knew, I had kind of always had the wheels turning on furthering my education. But once I saw the IMC program and learned about it, it really, to me, it's so funny because I'll have all of these like baby concepts in my mind. But then when I see thing, something that really makes sense, it just clicks. And I'm like, okay, I will do, I will do that. But it's not impulsive because I've had like 80% of it already ruminating. And then when something really just, it seems to be like the thing that makes sense, almost like DC. I'm like, I really want to be in travel. Oh, there's a city that only has travel jobs. Cool. I'm I'm there you know, oh, there's a, a ma- there's a master's program that, that can incorporate marketing and communications. Great. You're right. I'm very lucky. I got in. I very, I'm happy that I was accepted and, uh, in all of the things I want, I want to give weight to that, but it, it really turned out to be like the perfect program for me and really helped me. It pushed me and I grew so much from that. I did part time for two and a half years at night and and then, yeah, it really made all the difference. So
0: so it sounds like you kind of, in, in your career and figuring out what you want to do and where you want to go, you get about, I don't know, 75% of the way to reinventing the wheel and then you find the wheel and you're like, "Ooh, this is what I was going for.
2: Honestly, yes. That's exactly the case. That's exactly it. It's so funny. And, and, and I think as I've gotten older, the decisions that make the most sense to me, I've been able to pinpoint them more quickly. You know, mm-hmm. because because I did so much w- early work on myself, figuring out what I wanted and what I didn't want. It, that's you're you're totally right there. That's like kind of the so,
0: opposite of me. I'm just I'm just a mess. And I'm like, yeah, I'll try that. Oh, I, should I have a podcast? Sure. I'll try a podcast. Why not? <laughs> and here yeah, we are. Say,
2: <laughs> the, the podcast for me didn't turn out to be the the you know, diamond project that I thought it was going to be. Sometimes everyone says, you know, seven, you talk so much. You'd be a great host. You'd be this. You'd be that. And then I did it and for some people it's amazing and they thrive and you you guys are doing an awesome job and I have so much respect for you but I did you know my one season 11 episodes and it was great but when I packed it away I didn't I don't miss it. So mm-hmm. sometimes I do that. I fall into things that I think are going to be amazing and they turn out not to be amazing and I have to be okay to say goodbye even when I really thought it was going to work out. So it's happened.
0: And a lot of times people but, they so many people will see you doing things, and you said a lot of people said, "Oh, you'd be really good at hosting. You'd be really good at hosting." Obviously, you're a very good guest. You're very good at expressing your you know, views and your opinions and how things are going and expressing what you want to say. But it's not, I mean, there's a lot more to podcasting than that, and it's not for everyone. So I think being able to identify that speaks to what you said. Like you've kind of identified what works for you and what you need and, are very aware of yourself that you could pull that out quickly and be like, nope, that's not for me. I don't need to do it. Instead, I'm gonna go on amazing shows with my friends because they're amazing hosts and have a couple of beers.
2: Yes. Honestly, I will support you guys and shout y'all from the rooftops as much as I can because that's the thing, right? Is if I know that it's not the right thing for me, but I see people doing awesome work, then it's I'm happier supporting people who are it's I mean, there is so much work that goes into podcasting. So, you know, the fact that you guys are doing it week after week is awesome, however regularly the, the episodes come out. So yes, I will do everything I can to support you and uh, keep, keep it up because it's great.
0: And it's similar to the fact that I know I'm 100% sure that I do not in any way have the temperament to work in social media for a major hotel group. It would not go well. <laughs> and I would, I would not have that job for very long. So we each have our own strengths.
2: Uh, if somebody told me I was going to be doing social media for a hotel group during a pandemic, though, that is a little bit different than just doing it regularly day to day. So it's it definitely takes a much different um, it takes a much different sort of uh, a temperament. But um, I really I really am en- I really do enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I gotta be on- I gotta be honest. I think if I worked on a my employer's social media account dealing with guests or customers, I think half of my responses would be yelling. And the other half would be, that's what she said, jokes. I mean, I think that's what it would boil down to because I would either be bored out of my mind or I would be upset. So, you know, just being honest here, that's that's the way it would go. Yeah.
0: So if you're listening, Hilton, um, do not hire Derek or I for <laughs> social media. We'll go ahead and put that out there. If we apply somewhere down the line, feel free to pull this up and say, look, you said so yourselves. No, no, yeah. no.
1: You so. told us not to hire you. Why did you even apply?
0: So in a better choice that Hilton made, they hired Stephanie at some point. Let's go back to that. And you had said you had applied several times to Hilton or Marriott, both have headquarters here. How did you end up finding the job that, I was going to say that you're currently in, but if I remember correctly, you've been promoted since you've been there. So the the first job that you had there, how did you end up finding that and getting in the door with Hilton?
2: So I want to make sure to add a disclaimer that everything I say on this podcast is my own independent views, does not reflect the views of Hilton. I am not here on behalf of Hilton. I am here on behalf of myself. So I actually was contacted by a recruiter, which is the irony of this whole thing. Uh, but I do, I do have to credit, I think it a little bit had to do with once I moved over to Street Sense and I was able to work a bit on some real estate, hospitality, some of those clients that we had at the agency. And I was able to add that to my LinkedIn. So I give LinkedIn all the credit. I was contacted via LinkedIn. And I think coupled with putting my master's and being actively in a master's program too. And then I turned on, uh, I'll tell everybody this who's listening, if LinkedIn premium is the single best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. I love it. I believe in it. it. I've gotten three out of my five jobs Uh, through LinkedIn premium so really making sure we can that's a whole other episode I could do on the keywords and optimization and search engine and making you know being able to be found so I really wanted to make sure that my LinkedIn profile was in a a good place that when recruiters are looking they can find me. So I was at Street Sense for about 10 months and as I was approaching my year I was I wasn't really actively looking, but I just kind of subtly wanted to put some feelers out that I was ready to that. I, we love maple syrup. I mean, just my heart, my heart wasn't as in it as maybe you could have been being a maple syrup marketer.
0: Well, I was thinking that was probably what got you the job at Hilton is they saw the syrup skills. You were like, no, it's the master's in marketing and my skills and all of my knowledge. And I'm thinking, no, they saw syrup. And they were like, we have hotels in Vermont, don't we?
2: I'm telling you, it's being able to market a product. Like, I just, I had, for some reason, even the agency work that I had done in Dallas, it was just social media is so great, but it's, but as a job, it's, it's matured and grown. I started working in 2012. So we weren't really putting measurements and dollars and return on investment to social media, like back then at all. So it was really hard for me to be able to tell a story of success when I was interviewing other than just like engagement and tweets and likes and comments. It's actually funny. uh, uh, One of our directors on my team recently, she was talking about, you know, if you can figure out how to tell your story through numbers, then you there's a high likelihood that the more success you can show through numbers, the more marketing dollars you get to spend, if the numbers are are good. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, it was just I was I was running into those issues over and over again where I just wasn't able to tell the story in the way that I wanted to tell it in interviews and even on the job. So so it is funny because I do think for the first time the maple syrup experience gave me that ability. To show, you know, this is who I was driving to the website. This is who I was driving to to buy. This is where I, you know, everything that we're working with influencers, and we were talking about, you know, influencer campaigns and sponsorships, and that was really. And I was working really closely with our PR team for media and earned, you know, placements. And I don't want to get so nerdy in, into all of that, but all of that just really helped me kind of like understand how social fits into the bigger picture of a marketing campaign. It took me like I had been in the workforce probably for. 2000 for five years before I had really done that. So
0: before you had that so you actually, returnable and you could see where it is. I'm just thinking as, yeah, exactly. as you talk about what you did and having the influencers for the maple syrup campaign in Vermont, and I just find myself wishing that I had been doing this back then, like even maybe a couple of years before that, because the, the beer in Vermont and Burlington, and if you combine that with those maple creamy ice cream cones and the out oh, man we could have worked together it would have been great but you know well, timing you're, you're
2: gonna hate you're gonna hate when I say this it actually wasn't that it was the healthy side of maple syrup so we worked with we actually had a tapped maple water we worked with fitness influencers oh. so we had to we had to talk to them about being able to incorporate tap the, 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 the product was called tapped but it was maple water and how they incorporate that into their fitness regimen and routine. So that was also a whole other side of maple that I had no idea. We were—it was maple butter. Maple <laughs> That's
0: completely the opposite of us.
2: <laughs> I'm like, hey, this isn't the maple syrup marketing that you think it is. This was like, yeah, understand. we're like, uh,
0: we're we're more on the maple bourbon stout kind of side of things.
2: I will tell you separately. Not even through that job, but at this similar time, I went to Stowe, Vermont, and Burlington, and I had Hetty mm-hmm. Topper. Heady Topper. Hattie Topper. Yeah, it was awesome. I think it's Al- Alchemist. Is it the Alchemist. Though? Yes. The Alchemist. Yeah, they make some good and, beers. And, yeah, it was so good, and I wanted to bring it tonight and drink it because I could be able to tell my story of Vermont, but I couldn't find it. There's a craft seller beer store across the street from me on H Street here. but They close on Mondays, but it's it looks cool.
0: Maybe they'll. I don't know. Hetty Hedy Topper is a little easier to find these days. It used to be really hard to find anywhere yeah. other than... It was so good. Alchemist. And oddly, the Burlington Airport always had a good selection. There's that one little mm-hmm. restaurant down at the end where there's like a circle of gates and they—I mean, the first time I sat down there for breakfast and I looked up and I saw Hetty Topper and I saw Lawson's Sip of Sunshine and I was like, wait, I can't get any of these beers where I'm going. So I had a beer with breakfast and maple syrup. Oh, nice. Of course.
2: Well, when you're at an airport, there is no time. I have seen people drink at all hours of the yeah. day. So there is no, there's no concept of time. That might've been me that you saw, Uh, but (laughs) me and Derek. (laughs) Probably.
0: All right. Thanks for hanging around everyone. I hope you enjoyed that talk with Stephanie. If you want to hear the end of that conversation, the second half of it, be sure to check back next week for episode 26 where we will talk with her about what she's doing there at Hilton and a little bit about her personal travel style and where she likes to travel, some of the best spots that she has found. But for now, it's time for Derek and I to get into the updates in the credit cards, hotels, airline, and general travel world. And we're gonna start with a big one, Derek. It's Capital One has a whole bunch of updates that they sent out this week for their rewards program.
1: What's in your wallet, Jeff?
0: Not a Capital One right now.
1: (laughs) Before this week, it probably wasn't a Capital One Venture Card, right? Um, I'm one of the uh, holdouts. I've kept a Venture Card in my wallet for the last couple of years. I don't use it all that often, but I was intrigued when they first announced Transfer Partners last year. So I paid that annual fee one more time to give them a shot, put a little bit of spend on it for the transfer partners, and I'm really glad I did because huge news came out this week. Capital One has added a bunch of whole new partners, British Airways, Turkish Airlines, TAP Portugal, and Choice Hotels. But that's not the only good news, Jeff. They've also revamped earning rates for a bunch of their existing partners.
0: Yeah, so... Just before we get to those earning rates, I wanna say that I am in the other camp of sad people who got rid of a Capital One card in this past year. I had their Spark business card and I transferred my points away to, I don't remember who it was, I think Singapore, maybe. And then I got rid of the card and now I am regretting that with these updates because they have changed the transfer partners, several of their transfer partners, not all of them, but several of them, are now going one-to-one with their transfers. They used to be transferred two to 1.5, which made the Venture Card 1.5 points per dollar on all spend. Now they're going one-to-one, so the Venture Card goes back to a two points per dollar in airline programs that you can transfer to per dollar of spend, making it a great card to use if you want to use any of these airline programs. Those ones that went one-to-one are Avianca, Etihad, Asia Miles, Aeromexico, Finnair, Qantas, TAP Portugal, and then Wyndham Rewards because we had to throw a hotel in there too, I guess.
1: That also is really big news. Uh, It's probably as big of news as the new transfer partners. I'll kind of put those two together, Jeff, and give you my two cents. Number one, I think the huge piece here is Turkish. We now have a second available transfer partner uh, to use the Turkish airline program, which is extremely lucrative. You can now transfer city thank you points. You can also now transfer Capital One miles. For those that are unfamiliar with Turkish, I would highly recommend you completely avoid it. Never think about it so you don't take up all the great reward seats that I like to book. Just kidding, just kidding. You need to learn it ASAP. Um, You can fly all the way to Hawaii on United for only 7,500 Turkish miles in economy. You can fly all the way to Hawaii for 15,000 miles on United in business via Turkish. You can fly Turkish metal from the U.S. to Europe for 45,000 in business, 30,000 in economy, and add a nice little layover in Istanbul. Check out that lounge, check out the city, and have some fun in Turkey. So that's a program everyone should know, and I think that's probably – For me, that's probably the biggest news of this. There's now a second transfer partner to Turkish. But not to be forgotten, Jeff, is the increased rates, I think the biggest, to Avianca Life Miles and to Cathay Pacific Asia Miles. Having an uncapped 2X card for both of those programs is huge. Um, you You can earn 2X Asia Miles by spend on your blue business plus card from Amex as Amex is a one-to-one transfer partner to Asia Miles but that's capped for fifty thousand dollar spend annually this is an uncapped 2x uh, on the Capital One Venture, Spark, etc so that's huge and life miles one of the best ways to fly to Europe Uh, also a really good Star Alliance partner domestically in the US and all over the globe really Um, people that love Lufthansa especially first to Europe Life Miles does not pass on surcharges of any kind, and uh, you can fly that TAP. It's basically the cheapest way to fly to Europe uh, on Lufthansa first, uh, about 90,000 points and, and low, low, low taxes, definitely under 100 bucks versus up to 500 or or 1000 on some programs. So that's my big news. It's, a, it's double thumbs up on Capital One, and I'm glad I have a Venture Card. What's your analysis, Jeff?
0: I'm sad I don't have a Venture Card. <laughs> Capital One typically is it's tough to get a card for those of us in the miles and points space that have a bunch of cards or have applied for a bunch of cards over the past years. If you have one or if you can get one, highly recommended at this point, the Venture card sign up bonus right now is 100,000 points and your th- those are going to transfer one to one to some of these airlines that we're talking about. The that list of airlines There are some sweet spots in those award charts, like Derek mentioned with Turkish, with Avianca, with Asia Miles. There there are some great spots for cheap awards, and you can now earn 2x with a Venture card on pretty much everything. So, huge fan of these changes, and they also threw out one more little bone for us. Capital One lounges. We had heard a little bit about this back during the pandemic, but they have announced that they will be opening a lounge at DFW summer of 2021, so that's just in a couple of months here, and at IAD, Dulles Airport, in 2022, and we don't have the exact dates on that. Those lounges, they have not said how you will get access to those, and there's some question about that. It seems like it's most likely it will still be a pay-to-access, but it will be discounted if you have some of their premium cards, but maybe we'll see a new high-end premium card coming out from Capital One in conjunction with those lounge openings. Who knows? We can speculate, and we can hope, and I'd love to see myself in one of those lounges. I'd love to have a Capital One card. We'll see if I can work my way into getting one back.
1: Yeah, I think you're probably right, Jeff. I, w- I would assume that there would be some paid component to Lounge Access. As um, Capital One's most expensive cards, $95 annual fee. That's the venture. I think the Spark business is the same. Don't quote me on that, though. I don't have it in front of me. I think it's a great idea, especially for Dulles. Um, DFW has a couple of good options already. The one piece I did see, and I haven't been able to confirm it myself, but... One of our readers in Travel on Points mentioned that they saw a report that Capital One outbid Amex for a Centurion Lounge at IAD, and that's why the Capital One Lounge is coming. Interesting tidbit whether or not it's true. I've always thought IAD needed a credit card lounge. Um,
0: I had read that also, and I think that's why the Centurion Lounge is coming to Reagan, Reagan. National instead, yeah. because they Amex wanted to have one in this area, so... Good news for lounges for those of us in the D.C. area coming up. Not really much else of note going on in the credit card world this week, but we do have another huge news item in hotels, and that is the Radisson Rewards Program, which we talked about uh, a week or two ago. They are splitting their program into Radisson Hotels Americas, I think, and Radisson Hotels Rest of the World. I don't know if that's what they're calling it, but that's all I can think of it as. So two separate programs, and this week they gave us a huge devaluation on the Americas program. So they're not just splitting, but while they do it, they're going to make the program a whole lot worse for members.
1: So wait, Jeff, you're telling me this was not a program enhancement that adds increased value for all of their loyalists?
0: No, I think they actually looked at what IHG did a few weeks ago and (laughs) said, well, we can beat that. Hold my beer. Yeah. We can make it worse for our customers. Yeah.
1: We're not going to deal with this a lot because it's so bad, but generally the Radisson program is going from seven categories to five, but all of them are going up in price. It looks like uh, from initial analysis, about 60-plus percent of properties will increase in price when you are using points to book your Radisson hotel stay. For now, this is only confined to the Americas program, but as we cautioned a few weeks ago, Jeff, what happens for the Americas program will happen to the rest of the world program, right? So we can probably expect a devaluation uh, from that new program as soon as it's announced.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine that they wouldn't devalue that one as well. To have two separate programs is bad enough, but to have two different award charts and different rates and completely different systems doesn't make sense at all. So I would I would assume that they're just going to leave that for a little bit, but then they will be putting these same things into place there. It's a, I, I don't even know what to say about this. They're taking away... Um, we said going from seven to five categories, they're just completely taking away the lowest category. So those, I guess there were only like nine hotels in that anyway, but that's gone. So all those hotels go up in price. They're taking away one of the middle ones and everything else kind of shifts up a little bit in price. So if you're looking to book a Radisson hotel, get it done now. This will go into effect in June of this year. So just a couple months from now, 64% of the hotels in their portfolio will be going up in points. 29% will require fewer points, and 7% will require the same amount of points. So overall, big devaluation. It's I mean, we saw a piece come out on Miles to Memories today from Benji that said it's really not that bad, and if you're looking for the lower level Radisson properties, which is pretty much all that Radisson is worth at this point, then the category two hotels are going to double and almost 40% are going down, but really it's not quite that high. He exaggerated that a bit. It just, I don't, basically it's a program that you're not going to look for those high end hotels because they just keep getting more and more expensive. You're going to use it for the lower end hotels. As someone who has hundreds of thousands of Radisson points, I'm very sad about this devaluation.
1: And when you look at the simple math, it's not bad for everyone. But for the vast majority, it is definitely a devaluation. The pure numbers, as you mentioned, sixty-four percent going up, twenty-nine going down. So, you know, for a third of people, roughly, they will find better deals than they had before. But for the vast majority of us, two thirds of us, looking at those sixty four percent of properties going up, overnight our, our I guess not overnight, it doesn't go into effect until June, but fairly soon it is a massive devaluation and your points are worth less
0: and the one bright spot in this announcement was that they are they have announced that there will be reward saver nights and they have given us a little bit of information about what that is it will be discounted points nights they said that they will not be limited specifically to only some properties having them they will not be limited to only some times of the year but they will be limited in quantity for each night So we really have no idea how available this will be, if hotels will be able to play games with that. Um, I believe they said that this will be run at a corporate level, not at a hotel by hotel level. So I like to think they won't be able to play games with it, like we've seen some other hotel brands do. But. We also don't know how big of a discount these are going to be, so hopefully we'll see some good deals with these reward saver nights. I can absolutely picture trying to book a hotel and finding one reward saver night and the other three not reward saver nights, though, so that's, I mean, that's the pe- pessimist in me when I look at this uh, speaking out, so I don't know, maybe we'll find some good deal with those deals with those reward saver nights, maybe we won't, we'll have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, when you're looking at things like that, you know, reward saver nights, kind of like a peak off peak type of thing that other programs have, I I believe the general advice would always hold true. Book early uh, when you have dates, book as early as you can, check regularly to see if your price has changed, and if it happens to go down, rebook, save yourself some points. But if you're looking for specific dates at the last minute, you're probably not going to find reward saver nights. You may not find uh, reward nights available at all. So book early, book often, and check back and make sure that price hasn't gone
0: down. If so, rebook. And they've said that it's not like a peak and off-peak program. But, I mean, they've said a whole lot of what it isn't, but not a whole lot of what it is. <laughs> they also so, said it's not really a devaluation, right? It's, a, yes, it's they an did. enhancement. <laughs> Their PR company is working overtime this week, but we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. So maybe we'll see a, a couple of rooms available at those lower rates. So like you said, book early, book often. Uh, get everything booked that you can as soon as you know about it, and maybe you'll get lucky and find some of those nights. In other hotel news this week, we have something from, I I believe it's your favorite, the Hyatt program has a big announcement.
1: Yeah, at least it wasn't all bad news this week. The Ziva and Zalara properties, the all-inclusive hotels from World of Hyatt program, have announced a new location, Jeff, so families have another location to go to soon. Uh, where they can have an all-inclusive Hyatt experience. The Hyatt-Ziva-Riviera-Cancun will be opening later this year. Uh, It's between Cancun and Playa del Carmen. It's a former Secrets Silver Sands property. I always like to see new properties open, Jeff, and I think it's a brilliant idea, even though there's currently, I believe, a Ziva and a Zolara in Cancun itself, so this one's not that far away. But I think it's a brilliant idea for Hyatt because... Number one, Mexico is currently open to Americans. And after that stressful 2020, everyone experienced, I think a lot of people are looking for rest and relaxation by a pool and and not having to worry about restaurant options. And all-inclusive in Mexico is a really uh, good idea for a lot of Americans right now.
0: It's easy. It's very easy. You can pop down for a weekend trip. You don't have to worry about anything other than your flights and maybe a, a shuttle back and forth. It's going to be very easy and many people are going to take advantage of it. As someone who spent a month in Playa del Carmen earlier this year and had all of the local cuisine and the local experiences, it kills me to think of going to an all-inclusive in that area and not seeing all of those things. So please, please, if you go there, at least do a couple of tours off the resort and support the local economy and go to some cenotes and some local restaurants. But Like I said, very easy. Very easy for people to do. Just not something that I personally will be staying there.
1: Good advice. And that's pretty much it from the hotel programs this week. Not a lot going on, but some bad news and then some good news. Um, So a little mixed week there with hotels. In airlines, Jeff, there was quite a bit of news. A lot of really weird stuff. Um, Singapore Chris Flyer uh, did some good things this week for their loyalists. They extended miles expirations to April 2022. Um, it is usually from three years after you earn the points, and nothing you do resets that clock, is my understanding. So they bumped that out another year. So that's that's good for anyone that's sitting on some Singapore miles,
0: like me, like you, like me. <laughs> And I had, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but I had a trip that was booked with Singapore miles that ended up getting canceled because of COVID, but I had booked it like two weeks before the expiration of the miles. So when they came back, I was like, oh no, those are going to expire. And they extended them. And then they're coming up again in June would be the expiration, I think it was. And they just extended them again. So my Singapore miles continue to live until I can book a trip with them. So Perfect. it looks like travel picking up maybe I'll book something soon but I need to remember to use those miles but not quite as soon as before they also have started selling first class again on flights as of June and this is a big deal because they had stopped completely selling first class because they didn't know what planes they were going to have in the air they couldn't confirm that they were going to have first class on those planes because they had cut back so much but they are now confident that the travel is going to be picking up enough that you can now book first class again starting in June of this year. So, big news for people who want to fly those Singapore suites or get some of those fancier seats in first class up in the sky.
1: That is really good news. I mean, it, it's hard to remember now when you think about it, but we're not that far removed when there wasn't any first class coming to or from the u.s so anytime we see those returning hopefully you know within a few months it's another good sign we all love a good first-class seat especially when it's free with points and miles speaking of other good news jeff another airline this week that uh, was correctly i think taking the temperature of the room united Um, not known in the last few years for really doing things to help their customers, but they realize, hey, Croatia, Iceland, and Greece are opening to Americans this summer. We should add some non-stops. And that's what they did. They start, they announced and started immediately selling flights non-stops to Croatia, Iceland, and Greece.
0: Yes, and those are exciting again for us here in the D.C. area. They, I believe it's going Dulles to Athens, uh, Newark to Dubrovnik, I don't remember where the Iceland one is going out of. I'm sure Newark and maybe some other places because they fly a lot of planes out of Newark. But exciting that they looked at what was going on and they took the initiative to try to help people take advantage of where they could go. It does mean there's going to be a whole lot of Americans in those places or more than you would expect but with travel still down it probably won't be completely overwhelming so exciting news from united adding those flights to help us get where we can go this summer yeah.
1: and i haven't personally looked at those flights uh, to price them out my my guess would be that if you're looking to go to any of those destinations especially on a non-stop uh, given the travel restrictions around the world probably be prepared to pay for it if you're paying cash because I would assume those flights are going to be fairly full and demand is going to be high and those tickets will fly off the shelf. So if that is in your plans this summer, waiting on other countries to open, I would uh, check out United for award availability and book through United or another Star Alliance partner or or lock in some, some dates on Google Flights. Uh, That are within your price budget, but I would get on booking those ASAP because they're going to fill up.
0: And we did say just after that announcement, we saw some Polaris availability to some of some of those nonstop flights that dried up in about two or three hours. So not a lot of availability for business class if you want to go now. Still some sporadic availability on on the nonstops just on a day to day basis for uh, economy flyers. So. You got to get on it as soon as those routes are announced. Unfortunately, we can't get you that information any quicker, but we'll talk about where you can find that a little bit later on here in our travel section.
1: And that's the good news from the world of flying this week. I guess we can skip the bad because there really wasn't much that I'm aware of, but then we get to kind of the ugly, the weird, whatever you want to call it. The strange. Jeff, what do you think about paying like two cents a point to redeem them for 1.3 cents a point? A negative 0.7 cents each.
0: That seems like a great way to throw your money away.
1: (laughs) You won't just light it on fire, throw it out the window, bury it in the backyard, whatever you want to do, right? Uh, Seems as valuable to me.
0: And if you do, if you are one of our listeners and you're looking to throw some money away or you want to get rid of some money, we are here for you. Go to the website. There's ways to support us. You can buy us a beer. You can do a variety of things. But please do not sign up for Southwest's new points subscription plans, where you will be throwing money away and giving it to Southwest. If you want to throw money away, give it to us. But Southwest has launched these points subscription plans. And like you said, they're they're just a terrible value. You're buying points. You will buy points on a monthly basis. You sign up for a subscription, and then each quarter you get a bonus if you've bought for the months in that quarter. And at the end of the year, I think you get another bonus. But the total points that you buy over the course of the year, it works out to about you're paying two cents a point or somewhere, somewhere around there. You're paying significantly more than you can ever redeem your points for with Southwest. So I don't know why... Anyone would ever do this. I can't, like, I really can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah.
1: On the one hand, you gotta love the marketing genius behind this because some, well, not someone, a lot of people are gonna do this. Please, miles and pints listeners, don't do this. Think of it this way: every month, you could meet your significant other, your player two, Jeff and I, some random on the street. Give them two hundred dollars in turn, they give you 130 back for nothing. If you think that's a good deal, like Jeff said, just come give us 70 bucks instead, right? We can use the support. If you think it's a bad deal, just don't sign up for the program because that's exactly what you're doing.
0: Yeah, very, very easy to see. And it's, it's strange because we talk about buying miles is rarely a good idea. If you need to top up an account or sometimes there's a sale where you can get some miles to redeem for a first-class experience and it's going to save you some money. Southwest doesn't have those first-class experiences around the world. Southwest doesn't have really any of the reasons that you would want to buy points to top an account up. You could do that. You could transfer some in from various credit cards. Overall, There is, it's not a good idea to buy points to start, so why would you ever do it scheduled on a monthly basis over and over and over again? It's just mind-boggling to me. I can't, the more I look at it, the more I'm like, why, why would you even make this program exist?
1: Yeah, and the math becomes really easy when you have a fixed redemption program like Southwest or JetBlue. You You can do the quick math, even with the devaluation that happened last week, you can do the quick math Max, their points are worth slightly over 1.4 each. Worst case scenario, right around 1.3. And they want you to buy them for two. So it's not like you can get outsized value on a business class flight like you mentioned. The value, you can do the math yourself. It's really simple. 1.3 to 1.4 cents each. They want you to buy them in advance, months in advance, for 2 cents each. It's a no-brainer. Don't do it don't even think about it and if you are just send jeff and i 70 bucks instead and we will appreciate the support and we'll have a cold pint with you at some point in the future
0: and in other strange news we might as well go from strange in airlines to strange in travel the u.s department of state this week added 80 countries to the do not travel list in their warnings based on the world health organization's covid data so we did a terrible job with COVID at the beginning. We're starting to get better and starting to get vaccines out and they literally put half the world on on the do not travel list. So I don't know. I I have looked at those lists to get an idea of if places are safe, but with a move like this, I just it, it makes me think that those lists are not worth much at all.
1: Yeah. The the thing that scares me about this whole announcement this week Jeff was you know uh, Sarah and I are patiently not so patiently waiting for the um, re-entry testing requirements to the United States to be lifted so that we can travel internationally even to Mexico or somewhere with our jobs we can't really chance a positive test abroad even though we're now both fully vaccinated or a false positive uh, abroad because we need to be back for work I need to be uh, doing in-person appearances on a weekly basis so i can't afford that what scares me about this is if if they're now adding if we the u.s are now adding 80 countries to the do not travel list this makes me think we're a long way away from those re-entry testing requirements being lifted because they're literally the our government is telling us do not go to these places it's not safe
0: And if they do lift those requirements, I can see them very easily saying, if you go to one of these countries listed as do not travel, you still have to have the test. So it it will cut out a lot of the world for you, even if we come back and even if we get to the point where we don't have to have those reentry tests. Yeah. I've seen some mention of uh, some insurances or some problems you might have if you go to somewhere that is on the do not travel list. So if you have travel insurance, be sure to check the details of your policy because that may be a problem with some policies. If you choose to travel to one of those places, they may not provide any insurance coverage at all, even if it's not COVID related. So something to keep keep an eye out for. In good news, France announced this week that they will begin reopening in May and Americans with vaccines should be able to enter France by summer. So I'm super excited about that. You may know, our listeners may know, I have a bit of a love of France and uh, the variety of things in that country. The food, the wine, the people, everything. I love it there. And I am super excited. I actually told my wife earlier, uh, probably last month, I said, as soon as France opens, I'm going. So when they made this announcement this week, I said, looks like I'm going to France this summer. And she said, wait, what, really? And I said, well, they're opening. And I told you I was going when they open. So she kind of accepted that. She was like, can I come too? And I said, yeah, probably. We'll figure it out.
1: I got to say, I'm, I'm with you. I would love to go. Jeff, I, I, is this realistic? France is, a lot of France is still in lockdown. Um, and the the curious piece I was I was reading the president's uh, announcement of this this week, and it reading between the lines, it was like in early May we're going to lift the lockdown restrictions for most of the country, and immediately thereafter Americans can travel. And I'm thinking
0: I don't know if that's realistic. Yeah, I, do, I agree.
1: Am I too cynical? Uh, do I think this is a bunch of fluff? Um, I mean, am I wrong here?
0: I think they would very much like to do it this way, and if they can make it possible that they will, they need tourism dollars, they want people to be able to travel, I'm with you. I'm not sure if it's going to be realistic, but if it is, I'm going to France.
1: Well, hit me up first.
0: All right, and uh, one last thing in travel news: we mentioned before that those award seats for United went away in about two hours. We've seen some other great deals this week. Uh, I personally booked to from DC down to Saint Croix for a dive vacation next February. It was one hundred and fifty-seven dollars round trip per person. We saw 185 from Charlotte to Hong Kong. That is economy in a crazy long flight, but if you're willing to do that, amazing deal. You can't beat that to Hong Kong. We've seen some of these deals this week, so as travel picks up, keep an eye out for these low fares. There have been some crazy deals that you can hop on. And I just wanna give a shout out to a, a couple of different services that I use and that we would recommend here on the podcast. And the first is Straight to the Points, which is Spencer Howard's service. If you do Straight to the Points Premium, you'll get notifications of that award availability. He did send send out the Polaris availability as soon as it happened. So a lot of people that subscribed to his service were able to get those non-stop routes from the US to Croatia, to Iceland, to Greece. So you gotta spend a little bit of money, but you'll get those notifications as it's happening, and you'll be able to get them booked. The other one, the way I found out about my my deal to St. Croix was Thrifty Traveler Premium. And that's another service where they send out deals. uh, They send out low price award ticket deals. They send out a lot of low price cash deals from all over the US. You can make it specific to your specific cities or see the whole thing. And I got that notification. I said, great, I wanna go dive. I booked it right away and those fares have since dried up. So a couple of services that you can use to get notifications if you wanna book these low-price deals and these award flight deals, highly recommend both of them.
1: Yep, can't agree more and the last thought and then we'll be done, Jeff. Much like booking those hotels early and often, now is the time to book airfare early and often. If you think you can make a trip happen in the next 12 months, whatever the calendar's open for, book it now. Most airlines have friendly cancellation policies uh, currently, and uh, airfare is only going to go up once uh, those seats start filling up and and demand is going to be off the charts. So if you think you can make it work, you find a good deal, book it now, think later, friendly cancellation policies if it doesn't work out.
0: And especially with these crazy low deals, they are not sticking around. So if you see it, book it. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till later. If it's leaving the U.S., you have 24 hours to cancel, so just book it and then talk to your wife, your husband, your friend, your whatever later and figure it out. But you'll you'll be able to cancel if you can't go, but you'll be sad if it's gone if you wanted to go. So on that note, book your flights, book your hotels. Hopefully these updates have helped you out, and we'll see you next week with more Miles and Points with Pints.
1: Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Stephanie as we did talking to her. That was a great chat. Be sure to check back next week for the second half of our interview, where we get into more details about Stephanie's job and how and where she likes to travel.
0: Maybe one of these years, our Oktoberfest dates will work for Stephanie, but until then, we'll just have to keep getting together for drinks and snacks in D.C. That way, she'll be able to keep learning about what's happening in our world of travel rewards and I'll be able to get a behind-the-scenes take on what's going on at Hilton.
1: All of the important points and links for things we talk about during our conversation with Stephanie will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us, so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform.
1: In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash and pints.
0: And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer and a whole lot of fun.